Welcome to another episode of Vet School Unleashed, Dissecting the DVM, where we dissect topics and issues relating to life in veterinary school. I'm your host, Seth Williams, and I'm a veterinary student at the University of Missouri College of Veterinary Medicine. Today, we're going to talk about an aspect of veterinary medicine that I think can be the key to setting us apart as veterinarians. That is, what can separate the good vets from the great ones? And guess what? It has nothing to do with your medicine skills. So I want to talk about some of those softer skills that we're not really taught in vet school. What it comes down to is communication and connection and bringing the human element into the exam room with our clients. The way we interact with our human clients can really be the key to an even more successful and fulfilling career. So to help us go a little bit deeper into this topic, I am very thrilled to welcome back my friend and veterinarian, Dr. Jess Trichel. Jess is a 2012 graduate of LSU, College of Veterinary Medicine, and after vet school, she entered into an equine internship, but soon found that her veterinary career would take a turn away from clinical practice. So Jess is now part of the very talented team at Live Oak Bank, where she works with veterinary students on business and leadership development to help bridge the gap between veterinary medicine and business. So we'll talk a little bit more about her role at Live Oak Bank a little bit later in the podcast and the great services that Live Oak Bank provides. So welcome back to the podcast, Jess. How's it going? Uh, it's going fantastic. How about yourself? Good. Thank you. Um, it's almost summertime, so I'm ready to have a little bit of a break from school and give my brain a rest. So Nice. Um, <laughs> I remember that feeling. So some of you may have, have listened to a previous podcast where Jess was on where we talked about the all the intricacies on a uh, sky-level view of practice ownership and and why it could be great and, and what can be scary about going into it and, and how how it's very much a possibility for for us as new veterinarians um, to go into, into practice ownership. But today I want to talk about something a bit different and something that I feel we don't have a lot of experience with in our veterinary school curriculum. Back last summer, I spent a couple weeks down in Wilmington, North Carolina at Live Oak Bank's Veterinary Student Externship, which is an unbelievable experience. I, we touched on it in uh, in that previous podcast I, I mentioned with Jess. Um, definitely recommend looking into that. Um, we can go into a bit more about what that is a little bit later, but we'll put all, uh, all of the pertinent links to, uh, to the information about the externship on the website. Um, but one of the aspects of the externship was about communication and about the importance of interpersonal relationships, especially amongst our clients and amongst our team members, uh, really anyone that we have any contact with in the profession. And again, that's one thing that I don't feel most of our curriculums really touch on. So I want to continue the conversation because there's so much to talk about. And what it really comes down to is what we can do as veterinarians to really cultivate that human interaction um, that is so vital to the success of our profession. If you think about it, the main reason that most of us went into veterinary medicine is to help animals, let's be honest. Um, but that's only really half of our work. I mean, the animals don't get to the clinic themselves, and they don't pull out the wallet to, to keep us in business. It's about the experience that the owners have um, that's going to keep them coming back and to, and to make them feel good about the services you provide. So it is very much an integral part of our profession. And I think sometimes that gets lost. 
I would agree. And the more I learn and the more I study about businesses, you know, just to educate and be able to do my job well, the more I learn about what's called human-centered design of not just with designing products, but designing experiences. And then we think about so much just the science and the medicine of what we do. And rarely do we think about that whole experience that the pet owner is having Mm -hmm. with interacting with us. And uh, one of my classic examples is just ask somebody who has taken their cat to the vet recently about describe your day to me and all the events that happened that day and you quickly realize overall and this is just for you know particularly a wellness visit like not a sick animal overall it's a a, not a positive experience right right? getting a cat in a carrier getting the cat in the in the car taking the the cat into a clinic where there may be dogs and just Mm -hmm. new smells and new loud noises and all of those things then to get examined by a stranger and then potentially have you know blood drawn or vaccines given any of those things like none of that is a pleasant experience and then you add on top of that uh, a veterinarian who is poorly trained to interact with people um, and communicate effectively and respect um, the experience that that pet owner is having because while we can know everything that we can know about science and medicine while we can know so much about science and medicine and how to treat that animal unless we unlock that person we don't get to treat that animal and i think we lose that balance in vet school of understanding how important that relationship to the person is in our ability to treat the animal because if we can't connect with them if we can't relate to them if we can't get them to realize the value as to which uh they are spending their money on and helping their animal just so we can run a couple tests Mm -hmm. you know then we're we're never going to be as successful as we could be um by understanding their perspective and their worldview and being able to tap into that and navigate that in the way that they want to not just oh well the owner didn't say yes so he didn't do it well why didn't they say yes right what could we have done better to be able to understand what they're struggling with how can we create an experience for them that allows them to say yes mm-hmm. what have you seen or what have you thought in terms of the big areas of improvement that we uh we could face in terms of our our practice as veterinarians right so this year i've been fortunate enough to get exposed to um the stanford design school a number of professors there just getting to hear their perspective and go through what we call design thinking Mm -hmm. Um, and this is a human-centered design approach approach where you're really focusing on that person's experience and really how they feel about what's happening and what are their motivations rather than just the what it's the the how and the who is involved in this and so the process and i would encourage everybody to google this and we can put links to some of the stanford design schools the first step is empathy Mm -hmm. is taking time to really sit down and understand what they're going through and just like just like i said with the cat example it becomes very obvious very quickly a number of places that we could start to solve their pain points and that's what we talk about with uh, business models and business value uh, as far as your unique value proposition for your business is what value do you provide and what Mm -hmm. pain are you actually solving for that person the first step to understanding that is empathizing with that person and seeing where they're at and where their pain points are. And that takes 
talking to them and interviewing them and say, help me understand uh, your experience today. Walk me through what happened and what did you like? What did you not like? What could have been done better? And really taking some time and, and not every person that comes to the door, but a handful of people to really start to just get an awareness of something that you may not have even known. You know, we all park in the back of our clinics. Who knows? There could be something out in the parking lot that's causing an issue with getting in the clinic. Um, just the way that the, you know, landscaping's arranged, whatever it is, um, that potted plant that's on the inside of the door that the Great Dane knocks over every time right. he walks through the door, those sorts of things, um, the type of chairs that are in the waiting room and what that allows for the pets to how they interact with each other. What is the wait time? Are there mm-hmm. Ways to improve efficiency, utilize technology. Technology is a huge place where we can start to improve upon our client experience so that they can um, start to really feel what it is we do. I think that's one of the things we've, we've always gotten comfortable with taking them in the back. Right. Well, what does that breed within the, you know, the client, right? They're, they're coming into the clinic worried about their animal, um, a lot of times scared and unsure of what's happening. And then we take their animal from them and do mysterious things in the back while they sit there and all they have to think about is what could possibly be going wrong. Right. And so how can we start to make that just, I don't have the solutions, but it's starting to ask those questions and think about those things and really putting a understanding where they're at and, and taking that to the next level of interviewing these people and finding out where that is. Then the next step is to really define the problems that we want to solve and, and pinpoint the places where we can improve. And uh, from there, you start to brainstorm and ideate is what we call this step of come up with solutions. And one of the things that's really interesting about actual brainstorm exercises, because we as uh, very logical veterinarians, we come up with one solution and think it's the greatest solution. Mm -hmm. And we are going to defend it to the end. And really the idea with an actual brainstorm is to kind of get a group of people together and, you know, best best opportunities with sticky notes, just find a place on the wall and start sticking ideas, just write them down, one word answers, you know, little phrases of what might be an idea and then start to throw some crazy things out of how can we improve upon this well what if it involved magic and it's like magic why would we do that but it's really interesting the number of times i've done this opportunity like the creative things that start to come out that are actually kind of potentially plausible Mm -hmm. um they're a little far off but it's like well we could actually get somewhere close to that um or something you have to do in space or something that costs a million dollars because it it gets you in this mindset to start thinking outside of the box and sometimes outside of the box is still doable within the box um and it's things that we typically would not ever um come up with is a brainstorming is a phenomenal way of deferring judgment you know it's not about the quality of the ideas it's the quantity and building on other people's ideas and saying yes and we could do this and we could do this or what about this how about we do this and and being excited and being enthusiastic and not letting your judgment or your critical side get in the way getting all the ideas up there and then starting to say well okay like what do we think is actually valuable up here what could mm-hmm. we make work but it takes kind of putting that critical side of us aside for a moment and getting them out and then um, because it might not be the first idea that comes out, but you know, somebody built upon it in one way, then that gives somebody else another idea. And then, you know, five iterations later is where we actually get to a really cool solution. Um, But it takes, you know, starting with understanding where the customer is at and what they need and what they really want and what will help them and remove barriers 
to making this a more positive experience. Because in any situation, we have the ability to do three things. We can make a negative impression, no impression, or a positive impression. And we're shooting for the no impression to mostly positive, right. you know. But really, when we start to look at our experience, there's a lot of negatives. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of pain points associated with just getting in for a wellness vet. Um, visit and so how can we start to hack that system and get better at removing the barriers for the person so that the animal can actually get the the care they need right but it takes some effort on our part to be able to do that and so then the next steps uh within the design thinking process are to um prototype you know come up with some solutions and and test them out Mm -hmm. you know build up little mock trials of oh well we were thinking about an app well you could put it on a piece of paper or poster board and say hey what would you like to see in an app we were thinking about these things help us understand what it is that you would like to see uh in an app and really kind of get some low fidelity is what we call it you know versions and really get the input from the people that would be using it and how it would actually play out in practice and uh then test those theories and then let that design into your your processes but again just communication you gotta listen to those people that are that are experiencing these things we design for ourselves Mm -hmm. and we are not our average customer right right we have been through four years of intense medical school understanding everything there is to know about an animal and these people are you know they're bankers and they're uh, waitresses and they're school teachers their moms they don't know everything that we know and we got to be able to communicate with them relate to them meet them where they stand to be able to actually treat their patient and that that medicine that good medicine is going to turn into good business of building a following building an authentic trust with them and we got to figure out how to do that better right i really like what you said about listening to our to our clients and and to our, our team members um, cause I, I feel like sometimes we, we don't think about that because when, when you and I were talking about this before we started to record, um, it got me thinking about, you know, maybe I should start talking to my friends and to my parents' friends about what they really like about their veterinarian. And more importantly, what don't they like? Uh, and then start making just notes and just notes and notes and notes about what I could do to make them enjoy going to the vet. Cause I agree when you think about it, who enjoys going to the veterinarian? Probably not many. I mean, unless you're kind of weird yeah. and like that kind of stuff. But um, the question is, can we make it a pleasurable experience? And I think astoundingly, yes. Um, the best example that I can give, which I've, I've talked about this with some friends before, and I've tried to uh, think of ideas to kind of translate this over to my hypothetical uh, veterinary practice in the future, is that there is a, uh, a car dealership here in town. And uh, I take my car there to get its oil changed and, you know, it's checkups or whatever. And typically, that's not something you look forward to, right? I mean, you got to go and wait for right. an hour or two. And it's <laughs> people there aren't typically very nice. And um, it's just not a very pleasant experience. But this dealership here has changed kind of the way of thinking about that. Um, the inside, it, it does not look like a car dealer or not, does not look like a service shop or a typical car dealership. There are couches and TVs and um, a free kind of snack bar and soda fountain and slushy machine. And um, it's a fun place to be. So I have no problem going there. In fact, when it's time to get my old change, I'm like, oh, it's time to go. Great. And I'll call and make the appointment. So they're doing something right about creating a culture that is really, um, it's a pleasure to go there. Um And I think that when you walk into the typical vet practice of today, and especially of, you know, the 80s and 90s, it's pretty 
uh, vanilla and dry and like kind of like an old doctor's office. So um, there's definitely ways that you can uh, take concepts that you see in other industries and apply them toward the veterinary world. So I would encourage you um, to do what I'm going to start to do, which is when you have an experience with a store or um, a, someone that gives you a service, be it a doctor or the person that cuts your hair or um, a restaurant, what do you like? What don't you like? Um, and is it something that you think people experience um, at a veterinary practice? For sure. um, I, th- I think that's an incredibly valuable technique. Um, a pet owner does not lose their consumerism when they come to a vet clinic. Like they take all of those experiences that they've had with other brands and other businesses into the vet office with them and those expectations that they've had. And as other brands, you know, bigger brands, the Googles of the world, the apples of the world continue to deliver on these very, uh, excellent experiences that becomes the expectation. Uh, and so how are we going to keep up with that? And we got to pay attention to what they want. And it was very eye-opening for me getting to step out of the veterinary bubble, which we live in uh, all day, every day, mm-hmm. and start working in a bank. And I got to be around <laughs> lay people, you know, you think about the veterinary experience versus this and the conversations I heard and the things that they value and what they understand about medicine or not or the advice they're giving. It is extremely eye-opening and I found myself doing in some ways was just kind of retreating into myself and I was like why is that I'm a pretty outgoing person like why don't I want to engage in that and I was I feel like as a profession that's one of the things we've done is just we're not out there talking about these things so but other people are and they're not the experts we're Mm -hmm. the experts so how do we learn to communicate and learn to uh, get them to see our perspective better rather than just, you know, a keyboard warrior out there trying to defend some practice that is not kosher relative to what we believe mm-hmm. as far as the scientific evidence. But we tend to retreat from that rather than engage. And I think that's that's where we are as a profession and why some of the, the theories and mysteries and information that's out there is we're not speaking to them in the way that they need to be spoken to and whether that's through information on the internet whether that's through um vlogs and blogs and other other information just getting our perspective out there in a way that connects to them i think that's one of the things we miss we put some information out there but it's so scientific or it's so in-depth that it doesn't connect to that average pet owner and um making it understandable and reasonable and self-evident as to why the practices we're doing are the best choice and evidence that supports that rather than just the new trend that's coming down the pipeline uh, that a marketing team came up with. Right. You make a good point, too, about the way we talk to our clients. Um, One of my biggest pet peeves that I had when I was shadowing Mm -hmm. uh, before vet school was there was a doctor I worked with or I worked under and fantastic doctor. I mean, the best medicine you could imagine, uh, very talented. But when she went to go talk to her clients, she used doctor speak to the nth degree. And I mean, talk about deer in the headlights on the, on the faces of those clients. They had no idea what they were talking about. Um, and it kind of had a, made a light bulb go off in my head that we are trained at a very high level in terms of medical knowledge, obviously, and scientific knowledge. And that's knowledge that there aren't a lot of people in the world that have that, and they don't understand how how we talk. Uh, you know, I think it it could probably blow blow our minds if we were to look back 
uh, four or five years ago before vet school and, and see the person we are now in terms of the language we're using. It's a completely different language. So that's one thing that I really want to try to work on is, is language. I don't like to use the word or use the term dumb it down because I don't think our clients are dumb. They just need it, need the information in a way that is understandable to them. Right. So think about the way you would expl- explain to to your friend that your dog had some ear problem, for example. You're not going to use some crazy medical language. You're you're going to use layman's terms, if you will. So that's one way to start thinking about that client experience. Right, and I think that's really important, like what you said about dumbing it down. It's not about dumbing it down. It's about... Uh, conveying the information in a way that's relevant to them right and if they don't know the terms you're using guess what that's not relevant to them they cannot connect to that information because at the end of the day the goal is to get the best health care for that pet and it's not about dumbing it down it's about connecting with them right. and the level of information they know and being able to uh, navigate that situation and have enough thought and r- experience and resources to be able to pinpoint where they are and uh, communicate at that level Um, because even you know even clientele it's amazing what some people and some people will come in with lots of information you know i i while i find it very you know humorous the don't confuse your google search with my veterinary degree i also resent the bitterness that we feel about that Mm -hmm. because Guess what that means? That means they love their pet and they're going to the, they're seeking the lowest barrier of information that they can find to be informed about what's going on with their pet. Right. And there's a plethora of information out there, whether it's good information or not. That's their seeking help resource that they have found first. And so that's that's their context of this disease is whatever they found on the internet, whether it's right or wrong. And so we need to be able to meet them where they're standing, connect with that information and then show them that's great. And I really appreciate doing this, but here's some of the evidence that allows us to you know treat this disease in a way that's going to work for your pet and work with them instead of against them. And one of the quotes that I love, I was fortunate enough to get to hear David Sawyer speak, who's the chief marketing officer at Chick-fil-A, which when we look at um, companies that have done an amazing job of being human-centered and delivering in a phenomenal customer experience, uh, they have done an excellent job. And one of the things that he said is how you view things drives how you do things. Mm -hmm. And so if you're viewing that customer or that client as being you know, if you're frustrated with the fact that they Googled something about their animal, take a step back and look. Why did they Google that? They cared. Right. That's an amazing thing. That's a huge step. You know, they cared. And so don't be bitter about that. Like, it's not that they weren't seeking you for information. It was just the lowest barrier thing that they could get their hands on to create context for what's going on with their pet and look at how we behave when we you know in something else unrelated to veterinary medicine was the first thing we do we google it and so they're just behaving how humans behave in this day and age and so um understanding that and being able to work together in that way but but not resenting people for caring in the only way they know how uh, I think is really important or what's going on in their life or how they love their animal. 
um, it's a really interesting thing that we, you know, you have two cases in front of you in, in the exam or you have the biology and physiology of that pet, but you also have that humanity of that person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're there because they love their pet. We're there because we love people. And we look at, you know, the vast interpretations of what love means across, you know, all of art and history. Like it's a very complicated thing and it looks different for all of us. And so really starting to understand that you, you were walking into the exam room pretty much with a, an in of one mm-hmm. relative to what love to an animal looks like. And you got to understand that theirs might look different right. and they may have, you never know what the experiences are that they've had that affect how they view their animal. Um, and not to mention the fact that we are, in a very unique place where when we're in the exam room, we're at the crossroads of a person's ethics, emotions, and their pocketbook. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of times medicine doesn't have to take that into a significant consideration. And those are all three very, very, very uncomfortable topics. Right. And nowhere in our curriculum are we really, really, really taught how to navigate any of those you know, money, we're not great with money as a whole. Right. We're not great with emotion as a whole. And we're not great. We are good. We are ethical, but it can be a contentious topic to talk mm-hmm. about. And so, you know, realizing that you have to navigate all of those and, and learning techniques as to help to start to seek that information out and get uh, their perspective on what's going on so that you can connect with them. Again, it's all about connecting with that person and then relieving their pain in Mm -hmm. some way and so doing that the way that they see works for them right i was gonna make a point too that oftentimes if you ask someone what they really liked about their experience at the veterinarian very seldomly will you hear the doctor's medicine skills were outstanding um most of the time (laughs) it's gonna be i loved the way doctor so-and-so connected with my my pet or i loved the way that they were able to you know just be cool with me and they were like my friend and really chill you know um you hear that all the time right. all Point the being, time it's not about your medical skills because they assume you have those mm-hmm. and i think that's really hard for us as veterinary students to wrap our mind around because what is our main focus in veterinary school it's getting the good grades so that we know what we're doing uh getting grades because that's all we we've known thus far in our professional careers which is school um so it's a really hard thing to to kind of change that paradigm and i i totally understand that um but i think it's important to realize that when you're out into practice they're not the the client is not going to ask you what your gpa was they're not going to ask you to see they're not going to ask to see your diploma um they assume you have those skills and you do have those skills because you pass your boards you pass school um now obviously there's going to be varying degrees of how good your medicine skills are, but those are all going to come with time and how much time you put into developing those. But I think what it comes down to in terms of your success is, like you said, the connection that you make with both your patient and your client. Absolutely. And that's what they care about. You know, they care about getting the best care for their patient. And you, you say, like, it's interesting. I actually ran that experiment, except it was on vet students. And I was just, I was actually setting them up for a brainstorm exercise. And it just was a, a great way to start it. And then I, like, came to a profound conclusion at the end of, I just simply asked them, what did they like most about their uh, last vet experience as a client? And what did they like least? And it, and I didn't know you could get 16 millennials to agree on anything, <laughs> but every single one of them um, 
said what they liked most was the vet's connection to them and their animal Mm -hmm. in some various form or fashion. That is exactly what all of them said. And then there was another faction of the the ones that didn't go well was somewhat related to that. The other two that they didn't like were wait times and costs or Mm -hmm. not knowing the cost. But it was, uh, I thought was phenomenal, uh, especially in that demographic of people who are striving and focused on quality of medicine and progressive. None of them said, oh, I really loved, you know, the progressive equipment that they had or the type right. of medicine. They all cared about how the vet communicated and connected with them and their animal. Right. And so that to me is profound of like, we we do need to value this. Even, even ourselves, when we're in a client's shoes, that's what's important to us. So how do we start to do that more? And how do we focus and craft that experience and study that experience as much as we do the medicine in some, or at least, at least just start acknowledging, like, like we don't have to say as much as we do the medicine, but just start studying it a little bit. And, and I think there's so many um, opportunities that we could quickly start to fill some of the gaps in the, the, experience that we provide could be a lot more valuable and enjoyable for both um the client the team everybody you know if your clients are happier your team's happier everybody's happier Uh, so i think that would if you're not having to fight those battles day in and day out you can start to remove those barriers then suddenly everybody's life is better right you make another point too which is actually one of the things i want to briefly bring up today which ties into everything we've been talking about thus far is that financial aspect of our profession, which you and I had talked about this a little earlier, that while we are in the medical profession, we have a bit of a different obstacle than our physician brethren do. <laughs> they have the gift and the spell of insurance. Um, and we were talking about, you know, you go into the doctor's office and they're going to order up a full workup on you. They're going to do RADS and MRI and blood work and, and you name it. Do you ask them, oh, well, how much is it going to cost me? And what can I itemize to save myself some money? No, because your insurance most of the time is going to cover that. Now, I know that in today's age, insurance is one heck of a mess. But in the way it's supposed to work, they're supposed to cover what you need to stay healthy. Now, in our profession, generally, insurance is not taken on as it has in the human medical field. And we hopefully it won't go in the way that they've uh, that has manifested itself. Um, I think insurance could be a good thing, but that's for another discussion. Uh, anyways, oftentimes money is a major part of the conversation that you have to have with your client. That is one of those things that we don't get a lot of training on. Um, but my point being is you have to figure out a way to, uh, for lack of a better term, sell your medical services. So, um, One of the things that I've been asking some friends as of recently, and especially after this conversation that that you and I had a little while ago, was, are you satisfied with the amount you're paying at the veterinarian? Most of them said, no, it's way too expensive. And I said, why? And I couldn't, I I haven't really figured out the, the best way to kind of compile all those answers, but I'm trying to figure out a way that we can provide our services and make them feel okay about what they're paying. Because there is a price to our profession, or else we wouldn't have a profession. So I'm thinking, and I'm thinking kind of thinking out loud with you, Jess, is that what can we do to make their experience so good and make them feel great walking out the door that when they go to the checkout counter, wherever they're going to go to pay their bill at the end, they don't have a knot in their stomach because they're like, oh, damn, like that sucks. And what did I get for it? So uh, uh, what are your thoughts on that? 
yeah, I think this is the the moment where we start to do what we do in medicine is when, you know, we are really good at looking to human medicine and saying, hey, what drugs, what's going on over in their profession that we can start to use in veterinary medicine? And if we start to get outside of ourselves and say, well, what's going on in the rest of the business world, the rest of the service industry, uh, other models, business models that are out there, what can we you know, start to replicate within our profession relative to business and not necessarily deliver it the way that's always been delivered. Is it mm-hmm. going to take some tweaking and some uh, consideration on how to deliver that in a way that they want? Yeah, absolutely. But we got to look at, again, the consumer experience as a whole is continually improving and we got to keep up with that. And if we stay, you know, in the past, we're going to get left behind and people are just aren't going to come and they're going to go to Dr. Google right. rather than us because we're too expensive in some ways um and one thing i think is really important that we don't focus enough on is the fact that there's a spectrum of people mm-hmm. and when you look at hotel brands i think it's really really interesting how you know hilton owns the hampton inn the hilton the waldorf astoria <laughs> right and they have home two suites which is built for millennials i walk into that build business and i'm like i'm home i love it so much and i'm like it's built for me versus i can walk into a nice hilton pay way more have a nicer room and i'm like whatever and so realizing like how do we meet people's needs that there's different customer segments out there and that each one has different needs and different wants and that we don't have to be everything to everybody all the time Mm -hmm. obviously we're taught that in vet school because we got to learn about you know cats dogs iguanas horses pigs all of those things um yeah (laughs) pig diarrhea i know Mm. way too much about pig diarrhea that's never come into my (laughs) world that i need to know about right um but realizing that you know there's segments of our customers and that they all have different needs right a millennial pet owner has different needs than um the soccer mom or the crazy cat lady like all of those all those people have different needs and how can we craft our experiences or our clinics to uh, suit those needs and and make it feel valuable to them what's important to them to where their dollar means something you know right. when it's getting spent and they're getting every cent of value that they feel they deserve based on what they're paying absolutely uh, just so many incredibly important things to start talking about and and as we wrap up this conversation I know that we could go for days and days <laughs> to talk about this but um, Thinking about what we can do now as students and as new veterinarians to improve upon these things. And by the way, when, when when Jess and I are saying things we don't focus on, it's not like we don't focus on it, so screw that, we're not going to talk about it. I think we're saying we don't focus on it, so we need to focus on it more. So these things that we're talking about, start thinking about it. Yeah. So again, back to, back to the, the question about what can we do now. Um, I think for me, since I'm in, about to enter into my third year, starting now means talking to our friends. What do they like about their vet? What don't they like? Talk to your parents' friends. Talk to whoever. Um, talk to your friends in vet school. I mean, everyone is good to talk to to get their their advice on. And then especially when you're on the clinic floor, start using these skills. I mean, when you're on clinics and when you're in the, in the lecture room, obviously we are supposed to be building upon our medical skills. But I think sometimes it's forgotten that when you go to clinics and you're working with people, you should also be building on your people skills too. Oh, yeah. um, and since I haven't, I'm I'm on the verge of clinics and I'm counting down the days, <laughs> the minutes actually. Um, so I don't know how it's going to work, at least in my clinical experience. But I encourage everyone out there that's that's in clinics now or, or about to be in clinics to 
So don't forget about that side of it, that clinics is not just a time to to take what you've learned in the classroom and apply it to the live animal and to the real world experience. Uh, it's a time to, to start thinking about, if you haven't already, thinking about those those human interactions and communication skills and testing out things and building mm-hmm. upon skills. Yes. What else do you think we could be doing? No, I think that's absolutely a great way to start is, is realizing that buying behavior is buying behavior and that that experience you had at the car uh, mechanic, that how do you replicate that feeling, right? Mm-hmm. That's a feeling that you had there. Okay, so how, do, how would I take that lesson and replicate it and and as well as keeping track of what people don't like what people do like uh, and just paying attention A, a huge part of this is just simply observation and starting to note what is happening and um, just getting to be um, what they call an ethnographer and just watch people and understand what's happening and why they're doing what they're doing. And there's so many aspects of our lives, whether it's buying something online, buying something on Amazon, like what was the psychology behind that decision? Mm -hmm. What made you make that purchase or understanding your friends like impulse purchases? Like what, why are people, I think this one's an interesting one. Why are millennials spending so much money on buying costumes for their dog right versus taking him to the vet absolutely well it's a positive experience right Right. they're having a fun emotional this is an enjoyable pleasurable thing versus taking their animal to the vet while in the scheme of the pet's life is probably more important (laughs) but it's it's not a pleasurable thing for either one of them you know both for them and their pocketbook and them for for their pet so when we look at like well all right how do we how do we start to remove those barriers and just looking at other aspects of life and realizing that we are a part of the consumer picture and um we are something that they buy and why are they buying our services versus you know spending that four or five hundred dollars on a tv what what is the the decision there because we know that this generation of of pet owners really love their pets and that they are a part of the family the statistic is that millennials got pets at uh, around age 21 versus Mm -hmm baby boomers got them around 29 and we also know that millennials are putting off having families putting off mm-hmm. you know adulting shall we say right. late till later in life and so literally our pets are our children and um filling that void but then how are we going to be able to care for them in the way that they you know we feel their children how are we going to be able to have the resources available and work with our veterinarians in a way that uh, uh is meaningful to us and works with our lifestyle and the challenges that we face as a generation from the student loan debt and lower incomes, all of those things that are playing into this generation's situation. But we are the next generation of pet owners and uh, we are millennials. So how do, how do we uh, understand our generation and then be able to provide valuable services to them right? in a way in which they want to be delivered? Absolutely. Well, great. Yeah, that it's all really great stuff to start thinking about. Um, and I encourage everyone that's in veterinary school, if you're a first year, if you're a fourth year, if you're if you're a new veterinarian, realize and be reminded as much as you can that this aspect of veterinary medicine that we're talking about, the human aspect, the communication and the, the relationship aspect is as important, if not more, than your medical knowledge. Um that does not mean to, to to put off your medical training and 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 slack off in school, but rather focus on those soft skills. And I know that we talk about it some in maybe the the one or two business courses you get in vet school, or maybe in some VBMA meetings or some other club meetings about these so and so soft skills. Um, 
but I fear that once we're out in, in practice, we're going to regret not focusing on it more during our, during our veterinary school years. So the whole idea for this, this podcast episode was just to kind of start thinking about this and, and kind of plant some seeds into people's minds about what they could do now and especially when they're in practice to improve their practice. Um, it's all very much interrelated. You're only going to be able to practice good medicine if you have the client tell there and have them coming back. Um, they're going to drive your business and they're going to make you, uh, or rather, they're going to give you the opportunity to get better at your at your skills. So definitely don't don't slack on this. Keep thinking about it and uh, write down your ideas. Share them with your friends. Share them with me. I'd love to bounce some ideas off off as well. Um, we can all help each other. Uh, do this and and start talking about it more. Any other closing thoughts from you, Jess? This has been fantastic. I think it's uh, awesome that we're starting to get this out there and think about it more. And um, I'm very passionate about this idea and this topic uh, because I felt it. And I've I've been both the veterinarian and the client. And I was uh, I recently lost my dog, and I was very disappointed just in the expectations I had had. Uh, for pet owners, but then when I myself I was in that scenario, I, I couldn't imagine that we had those expectations mm-hmm. of of having you know when that animal is that sick that you're considering euthanasia. Like what that experience really is like being in the owner's shoes and and the thought of having to put that dog in the car and bring him in to be euthanized. Like that right. was a soul crushing moment for me, and I was like, wait, I'm a veterinarian. Like I've expected this of people. Right. And so once you experience those things for yourself and put yourself in those those owner's shoes, there's so many things. Uh, looking back on my time in practice, that I would change about how I practice now that I've studied these things. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I'm passionate about getting other people to talk about it, think about it, and at least just start to observe and acknowledge that this is a thing and it's not just about the medicine right definitely so great great things that that just you brought up today and i think this is a, a great start to to start thinking about this more and i think it's very important so um so thank you again very much for joining me again yeah, on the podcast anytime um and uh we hope to have you back soon um and yeah so thanks very much all right all right once more i want to say a huge thank you to dr jess Rochelle for joining me today on the podcast And thank you so much for listening to the Vet School Unleashed podcast. For more resources and more information about the podcast, please be sure to check us out at www.vetschoolunleashed.com or find us on Twitter or Facebook. Feel free to reach out to me via Twitter or Instagram or even email me at seth at vetschoolunleashed.com with any suggestions or topics that you would like to hear us talk about. Even reach out to me if you'd want to be on the podcast yourself and share some insight of your own. Thank you very much again, and we will talk to you next time on Vet School Unleashed Dissecting the DVM. <laughs>